love to have you. We're studying uh, during this Advent season. This morning we started with the, the carol, What Child Is This? This carol was written in the 1860s. It was first entitled, it was first a poem, simply a poem by William Chatterton Dix. And at the time it was called The Manger Throne. About 10 years later, it was set to a very familiar English tune, Greensleeves, and three of the stanzas, three of the verses, were included in the hymn, and it's become a classic Christmas carol. And in it, we, we see the question being asked from the perspective of the shepherds and the wise men and Mary and Joseph, what child is this? Last week, we looked at the shepherds and how the word of, about Christ's birth came to the shepherds, and uh, they were in the fields and just taking care of their flocks and wherever they were, in caves or fields, the angel appears, and the miraculous appearance draws them out, and they go and see the child that, that was born. You know the familiar story. And the, the shepherds, as we looked at last week, were at the, the lowest rung of the social ladder. They were not able to testify in court. They were, not, they were unclean to go in the temple. And yet, the message about Christ's birth comes to them first. The outcast, the misfit. And they go and worship, and then they share the good news of the coming of Christ. You know the story well. And the idea, the truth, that Christ is the good shepherd. This week, I want to look at people at the other extreme of the social ladder, the wise men. We sang this verse this morning, and it says, So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come peasant, by the way, comma, king, to own him. You probably sing it, come peasant, king, to, like there's a peasant king. Um, but it really is come peasant and king to own, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise the song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. We're introduced to these kings. And by the way, one of the, we're going we're gonna to learn miss facts about the wise men. Nowhere does it say they're kings. Uh, we three kings of Orient are? Okay, great. We don't know you're from the Orient. We don't know you're kings, but it's a great Christmas song. Uh, we'll talk about misfacts about the wise men in just a second. But let's look at what the scripture actually does say about the wise men. The brewers read it to us earlier. Let's look at it again from Matthew 2. The only gospel that contains any reference to the wise men, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of Herod, Magi from the east come to Jerusalem and ask, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. 
Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I too may go and worship him. Liar, liar, pants on fire. After, after, they, had heard the, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place. By the way, I had the liar, liar part. I, that, wasn't, that wasn't in there. Where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. What does Matthew not tell us about the wise men? Just a couple of things. Um, I, don't, I don't mean to be like the Grinch who stole Christmas kind of, uh, but... Let's look at what the scripture doesn't say about him. We know that they were wise men or magi from the east. Some think that they were a group of priests from Persia or maybe astrologers from Babylon. Uh, we, it nowhere mentions kings. By the way, the reason we, that uh, kings, we're going to look at this passage later. Isaiah 60 talks about peasants and kings and worship, but it, it's, it's not a connection between these We'll see the prophetic word given about the gifts being brought to him from Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 6. Mentions kings in that passage, but it's an implication that the connection doesn't quite make. In any case, um, we know that they're pagan. We know that they are not followers of God. We know that they're not Jewish, so to speak. And, And in this context, everyone who's not Jewish was pagan. Gentile is considered pagan. Um, how, how many were there? It doesn't say how many there were. We imply again that there were three because of the three gifts of gold and frankincense, incense, and myrrh, but nowhere does it say that there were three wise men. What was the nature of the star? By the way, when I was in uh, college and seminary, fun fact, we'll just digress just for a minute. There's a one-act opera called A Mall and the Night Visitors, uh, which if you've never seen, you should go and uh, get it. And I'm sure it's on PBS somewhere. And it's about the kings on their way to find the Christ child. They come across a a mother and a crippled boy who uh, want to give, well, first of all, the mother is, is, is really poor, and she starts to steal from the three wise men who are named Casper, Melchior, and Balthazar. And uh, by the way, I played Balthazar every year in this opera in seminary, and I know it's totally politically incorrect, but Balthazar was the, um, he was the black king, uh, which would not be in any way appropriate in this day and age to, for a white guy to play a, a black king. But nonetheless, even in legend, they have that um, one of the kings was from India, one was from Persia, one was from Africa. And the story goes that um, the cripple boy says to the wise men as they're leaving, I I have nothing to give the Christ child. 
to give the child that you're going to see. They had gold and frankincense and myrrh. He said, it's a beautiful opera. I'm spoiling the ending, but it's beautiful. It's a one-act, 30-minute opera, which 99% of you are not going to go get um, because you're not into <laughs> operas. And the, the, the boy Amal says, all I have to give him is my crutch. And he offers his crutch, his weakness, to the wise men to take. And as he does, he's healed. And then he goes on the journey with them to, to find the Christ child. It's a beautiful opera. But we don't know their names. We don't know how many there were. We don't even know the nature of the star, really. Uh, there's all sorts of speculation of what kind of star, when did it arise, was it before or after, was it a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn in the sign of a fish, we, we, we don't know. Was it a comet acting erratically? There have been a lot of astronomers over the years who have talked about things that appeared in the heavens around those times. One of the questions I always had is, how did the wise men connect the star in the east with the coming of a king in Judah. How did they even know? And a lot of speculation has been given to this. How did they know? Some have said, well, it was possibly from when the nation of Israel was carried off into Babylon and Persia, you know, the time of Daniel, who was well regarded, that the, the Jewish scripture went with them, such as it was, at least the Pentateuch, and then later on, they continued to study the, the Jewish traditions and Bible so that they knew the prophecy, at least at some level, about a coming of a king, a Messiah, a Christ. But we don't know that for sure. How old was Jesus when they visited him? We always get that. We always, at your home, you've got the wise men in the stable. Not. Uh, it says... Um, it even says, when they came to the place where the child was, not baby, but child, when they came to the what? When did they came to the home? So by this point, they're out of the stable and in a home somewhere. Evidently, Joseph and Mary stayed in Bethlehem. That's why every year for Wendy, I insist on putting the wise men over here, uh, not over there. That's my theology. So, you know, in the, in the thing, in the, the, we get the, the nativity. So I got them far enough away. It's going to take them about a year to get across stage uh, to, 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 worship the, to worship the child. Most people speculate that he was somewhere between a year and two years old, which means that he's already been dedicated in the temple. The prophetic words of Anna and Simeon have already been spoken to him. The shepherds have come, and now Mary and Joseph in, in this home, starting to raise this toddler, and the wise men show up with their, with their gifts. He, a lot of questions we don't know the answer to, but let me give you some questions that I believe we do know the answer to. And in doing so, it tells us what kind of child this is. The first point is this. He is a child of wonder. He is a child of wonder. In verses 1 and 2 of Matthew 2, it said, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east come to Jerusalem and ask, Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. These magi are from somewhere out east, and they 
they see the star rising and they know that a king has been born. Many during this time, during this period, brought together the, the wonders of the heavens with great events on earth. That's not an unusual connection for them to have make, made. Now, I, the Bible is not in any way, I believe, condoning astrology. Uh, it, it is clear that magi, by the way, magi, magician, um, the, the root word of, and we're not talking like rats, rabbits out of a hat kind of magicians. We're talking supernatural. I mean, they were pagan guys. They were studiers of wisdom and how to manipulate spiritual things into physical realities. But in some way, they look up at the heavens and they see a star and connect this king being born. One of the great, I'll just sidelight, one of the great points of history that is after Julius Caesar was assassinated in 44 BC, when he was assassinated on his funeral pyre, while it happened, there was evidently some sort of supernova in the heavens at the exact moment that his funeral pyre was occurring. And it gave the uh, astrologers, it gave them business for years. Uh, because they could say, hey, look, king dies, something happens in the heavens, and they would make this connect. We know also that in this period of time, there was some sort of prophetic word, uh, word that had already come out about a ruler coming out of Judea, and it was going to be symbolized by a great star. Uh, some historians uh, Tacitus, Suetonius, Josephus, a number of other historians refer to this word, and we know it's, it was well known because in 60 AD or so, there was a rebellion in Judea that a Roman general by the, by the name of um, Vespasian put down. And after he put down the rebellion, he went back to Rome saying, I am the general, I'm the king, I'm the ruler who came out of Judea. And he had a campaign to become the Roman emperor, which was successful. So it was a well-known word that a king or some sort was going to come out of Judea. It is also the fulfillment, by the way, of the prophet Balaam. Do you remember Balaam? Uh, he's the one who, who talked to the donkey or the donkey talked to him. He's paid money to prophesy bad things over the nation of Israel by a pagan king. He can't do it, but he has some prophetic words. And one of the words he has is in Numbers 24, 17, he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. One of the prophetic words about the star and the, the scepter, the ruler, the wonder. The psalmist says that the heavens declare the wonders of God. Here's the point. We're not to worship the heavens, but I believe everything in God's created order declares his wonder and his majesty. From the smallest cell to the greatest star, the depths of heaven, the, the, the distance of the heavens does not put me off in any way. When I start to study 
um, astronomy. I want to say astrology, but that's not what I meant. When I wanted to study astronomy, I love the majesty and the glory and the wonder of a creator God. It says in Colossians 1, 15 through 17, he, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. These men were seekers of wonder. The child they found is the creator and the sustainer of all wonder. He is also a child of the word. He's a child of the word. So they set out by seeking a star, right? They see in the heavens. They're drawn to Jerusalem, which is where King Herod is. They thought, well, if there's a king being born, let's go to the capital where kings are. And that's where they end up. And when they get there, here's what happens. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Heard what? Oh, there's a king that's been born. And all of Jerusalem with him. Why? Because they don't know. There's another king in town, and we don't know about it. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. Notice they don't have to hesitate. I, I, I mean, I don't know that hesitation would be written into the Scripture, but it seems like they knew right away. They knew the answer. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. We looked at that passage last week when we talked about Christ as the good shepherd. Not only was it prophesied that he'd be born in Bethlehem, but that he would also be a shepherd. A shepherd and shepherds. So anyway, the wise men show up looking for the birth of the king. Herod, who is a, he is a terrible man. I, I could use other synonyms, but let's just go with terrible. He's a terrible guy. And he is this propped up king who is not even Jewish. He's Edomian, which means he's kind of a distant cousin to them. He's claiming himself to be the king of the Jews. And he's only propped up by the Roman government. And, of course, he gets worried because he knows, I got no power in and of myself to be these people's kings. I mean, he's no elected official. He's nothing, really, except the Romans are using him to try and keep order in the country. And if another king comes in and he's more stronger than me, more stronger than me? If he's more powerful than me, then maybe the Romans will kick me out and put him in. I got to find out about this. So he gets the priest together and says, hey, where is this king going to be born? They say, the prophet says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Here's, here's the point of this, and see if you can connect this with me just for a second. They're drawn by wonder, but where does the specific of who Jesus is get revealed to them? In his word. You know, it's one thing to be drawn to the general revelation of God. 
in his created order. I, I stepped outside last week, Sunday or Monday, whenever the supermoon was around. It was gorgeous, rising. I, I, even Friday, I was sitting at my bay window looking at the snow, the trees, I, it, just the glory of God. It was just staggering to me. But if I want to find out about this God, I have to at some point go to the Word of God. Because that is where Jesus is revealed. Now, understand me, I'm not a worshiper of the Word of God, but I am, uh, you can't separate the Word of God from the revelation of Jesus, nor can you separate the Spirit of God from the revealer of truth. They all go together. But the wise men went from the general wonder down to the Word of God. St. Jerome said this, Ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. Let me flip this even again. The people who knew the most about Scripture, the priests, they weren't looking and they didn't go looking. I mean, they had a lot of head knowledge about the Scripture, but their heart wasn't really, wasn't really in it. How many of you have a Bible in your home? A printed Bible. How many? How many of you have two or more printed Bibles in your home? We all do. We all do. Why are we reading the Bible through as a church? Because we want God's Word in us. And Jesus Christ is the interpretive key that unlocks the whole Scripture. I've said this over and over again. I believe this with all my heart from beginning to end. It is a revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit that draws us to relationship with God. I just finished this biography of Martin Luther by Eric Metaxas. It was written as a in case you didn't know, this last October was the 500th anniversary of the 95 Thesis being nailed to the wall, the, the door, which is, by the way, another legend that didn't actually happen. But, um, and there's no Santa. So just go with, uh, with the whole story. Anyhow, <laughs> are we having fun today? Uh, so, so, anyway, after the, the Word of God was not, somebody went, what, what? So, um, (laughs) Martin Luther wanted to get the Word of God into the hands of the people because one of the things that was true was the Word was written in a language that no one or only the elite understood. So, he translated the New Testament in just a couple of months from Latin, Hebrew, Greek, really Latin and Greek, into German. What is remarkable is that he had to create a unified German language in order to write it. So not only was he translating, he was creating a language. Because the German um, tribes, really, as they were, areas, they didn't have a common written language. I mean, it's a miracle to me, really, that in three months' time, you could, I could barely read the New Testament in three months much less translate the whole thing. And we take the Word of God so for granted. We have multiple Bibles in our home that we barely pick up. I'm not trying to beat you. I'm just saying, look, we're reading the Word of God for a reason. There is a revelation there that God wants us to know about Him. And we need to know it. He is 
a child of wonder, but he's also a child of the Word. He is the Word made flesh, who made his dwelling among us. Third point, he's a child to be worshipped. He's a child to be worshipped. Verses 7 through 12. It says, Then Herod called the Magi, secretly found them out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. I think this is where I threw in an extra comment. Do you, do you know how far it is from Bethlehem to Jerusalem? Any guesses? Five miles. Five miles. Five to six miles. I mean, it's, it, I ran further than that one day this week. I'm not bragging about it. I'm just saying it's not far to go and find out. It wasn't like they now had to go way across country to find him. The distance was short, but he's, ah, I can't be bothered to go look. When you guys find him, come back to me and let me know. I want to go worship him too. And they After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. By the way, we don't don't understand the dynamics of this star. How did they know? Was it like, how did they know right over the place? And when it says they were overjoyed, that's such an understatement. It's really saying they were they rejoiced greatly with exceedingly great joy. I mean, it was just pouring out of them. It says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. That's the next slide. There you go. The wise men, they left home, followed a star with a desire to pay homage. It says worship, but it's really meaning to pay homage to this new king. But when they arrived in Jerusalem and said they were looking for the new king, Herod says, I, I, yeah, I, I want to go worship him too. Tell me where he can be born. Now, we... We know this is a lie because of what Herod does later. But we also know this is a lie because kings never welcome in new kings. New kings are always a threat to their kingdom. I, 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 my family and I are watching this uh, show called The Crown, which is a, um, it's a portrayal of the life of Queen Elizabeth, the present Queen Elizabeth. And one of the things that someone says to her is, isn't it hard to, to see the one who's going to take over after you die? Isn't that a constant reminder of death in your own child? And, and, and you know, there, she has a great relationship. But think about Herod, who's, a, who's very insecure as it is, to think about a, a, another king. He didn't want to... He didn't want to worship the child. He wanted to kill the child. You see, kings, they don't want to share their thrones with someone else. 
ever. And so they'd rather kill him than share their throne. And before we start casting aspersions at Herod, we are much like him. You see, Christ doesn't want to share the throne of your heart with you. And you don't want to share it with him. I mean, you, you don't want to just give it to him. You want to say, okay, Jesus, you have this part. I'll have this part. I'll still be in charge of this. You can have this part that gets me to heaven. This part that gets me where I'm not sick or helps me with wealth or make decisions. I'll give you that part. But this other part, I, I, I want. We are, we are much like Herod. Let me, let me digress and just, I don't think it's a digression, but we become like that what we worship. If we worship something and we, we, we have it on the throne of our heart as an idol, we become like that. And we excuse our behavior because of the thing we worship and the need that is met in our heart and the security it brings. On October 5th of this year, uh, a report came out about Harvey Weinstein, and since then, all hell has broken loose. Now, did it break loose in the last 60 days? No, it was already here. It was just hidden. And as a result, Time Magazine just named the silence breakers as their person of the year. What's been revealed in this time is this culture in our culture of sexual abuse and sexual harassment of women that's been going on for probably ever, but has really seemed to stepped up in the last 40 or 50 years. It has is, it is escalated, and it is no... If you look at it, it's, it regardless of race... I mean, New York Times on Friday posted an article about 40 prominent people, men, who have lost their jobs, so to speak, their positions, who have been exposed since October 5th. 40 since October 5th. People you would, you would never have said, oh, in 60 days you'll be unemployed. Because behavior that, last, that happened maybe last year, maybe 30, maybe 40 years ago. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, doesn't matter. Politician, newscasters, uh, fashion photographers, writers, PBS commentators. Um, it, it, the list just goes on and on. Any man in a position of power, doesn't matter what party, Democrat, Republican, it doesn't even matter your sexual preference. Could be male or female. What is that saying? Here's, what, here's my commentary on this. We become like what we worship. The sexual revolution did not come without a cost. And the cost was, we're going to worship sex. If you don't believe me, just watch any football game, watch any television show. If it's not in the show, it's in the commercial. Not only that, but 
within Hollywood, there was the ideal of the sexually aggressive man pursuing the reluctant woman, who then, when she gave in to the sexually aggressive male, was in some way deeply satisfied. Watch movies of the last 50 years and tell me you don't see that over and over and over again. No, 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 yes, yes, yes. I mean, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And now we're reaping the harvest of what we've sown for 50 years. We're no longer even just talking about, I mean, consensual sex with people outside of marriage. We're talking about the, 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 the horrific to me abuse of no doesn't mean no. Why is that? Because we don't want to share the throne of our hearts. We want to rule. And if it's not sex, it's going to be money. It's going to be position. It's going to be power. And usually all of those things get woven together. Listen, there are 40 prominent names on Friday. I can name five that have come out since Friday of very prominent people in other positions where you're like, really? I just, I didn't see that. Why? Because it is hidden, but... And this is, this is to me like a tidal wave. It's just, it's starting to, to move, but it's going to be even greater. And I, I don't want to say women... Um, this is not a ma- just a male-oriented problem. This is a sin problem, which we all have. Just our sins may be in different, in different formats. Point is this. What is it you're worshiping today? What is it you're worshiping today? Where is your heart of worship? Because Herod really worshiped himself. And he's like, I'm going to come and worship him when in truth he wanted to kill him. And though we don't want to kill Jesus, we also don't want to totally give him the throne of our heart. And if you think about it, their gifts that they bring, gold, frankincense, myrrh, they reflect who Jesus is. Gold represents a king. Frankincense, the incense that was burned in the temple worship. He was a priest. He came to reconcile people to God. Myrrh was the ointment that was given and used for the dead. Did they know this? Did they know, hey, he's a king, he's a priest, he's going to die for the sins? I don't think so. But God orchestrates things in a way that points direction that we don't even know. And in doing so, he even fills prophetic words that were given hundreds of years before these guys showed up on the scene. Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. By the way, that's where the kings part of the three kings because as it goes on, it says, lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the arm. And all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. 
the wise men were at the opposite end of the spectrum from the shepherds. These were the culture, these were the college professors. These are the culturally elite. These are the best educated, where the shepherds were the least. And the shepherds, though they were Jewish, they were on the bottom of the social ladder. Though they're on the top of the social ladder, these guys are pagans, Gentiles. What is it saying? I believe it's saying Christ came for all. He came for all of us, no matter our status, no matter our degree of birth. He's the one. He is the child of wonder. The heavens declare his glory. He's the one who sustains it all. He's, he's the child of the word. The word made flesh and made his dwelling among us. And he is a child to be worshipped. I pray that we, we like the wise men did, may seek him, bow before him, worship him, give him the gifts of our lives. I don't know if you paid attention to that little song Mitch sang during the offering. I love that song. You may not be familiar. What do I have to give him, poor as I am? I give him my heart. And I pray that that is our prayer today. That no matter where we've come from, no matter what has occurred in our lives, that we will give him our heart. Lord, I thank you. I praise you. I glory in you. Lord, I pray that when we look around and we see the wonder of your created order, that we would be drawn to Jesus. I pray that when we open the word, that it would continually reveal to us who Jesus is. And I pray that, God, we would, we would come and worship. Oh, come, let us adore him. Let us worship him, Christ the Lord. This baby, what child is this? This is a child who became a king, a priest, our Savior. May we give you the throne of our hearts completely, holding nothing back. And as we do, I pray that, Lord, your spirit would, Holy Spirit, flow in us to heal and direct. Lord, we thank you. Mitch, can we sing that chorus you did for the offering again? And let's just sing, you may not know this well, but just stand with me and um, just make it a prayer, a prayer to him. And we're going to give him our hearts this morning as we leave this place. As we sing it, if you'd like prayer, I'm going to have our ministry team just come and spread across the front. We're going to sing this, and then I'm going to dismiss you. People will be able to get prayer after uh, we sing this song together. But if you need prayer, just go ahead and move while the, the, the song is being sung. If you don't need prayer, Here's what I would ask. Pay attention to these words and make it your prayer of dedication to him today. What can 